Hey everyone, it's David here from Bridge with the No Code and Code podcast, where we talk about scaling no code stacks, migrating the foundation of code, and reintegrating no code into code. Today we have Michael Gill on. If you're on Twitter, you've probably followed Michael. He's pretty prolific there, helping a lot of people learn how to use no code. Michael's one of the most interesting guests that I've had on here in the sense that he is a CTO with about 50 engineers under him. Usually CTOs don't really take well to no code. Um, They've never really used it. And it makes sense because they're a CTO. They come from technical backgrounds. Why would they have to use no code? Michael has rolled out uh, no code and low code to his engineering team in a really fascinating way. So if you're an engineer or anyone technical, I think this episode is going to be especially interesting to you. Before we dive in, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Content Allies. Content Allies is who enables my team and I at Bridge to broadcast our message with this podcast production, articles, and social content. So if you want to expand the reach of your message, visit contentallies.com. Now let's dive in with Michael. So I'm here with Michael Gill. Michael is a CTO, and he's one of the only ones that I've spoken with who actively is integrating no code into the code stack. So I've been really excited about this and uh, eager to hear a little bit more about it from Michael. So Michael, great to have you. Thanks for having me. Good to be on. Um, do you want to just kind of go through like your one minute intro with everyone? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you said, I'm a CTO uh, for an enterprise SaaS company here in Atlanta. Um, I actually started out as a developer some 15 years ago and started my own uh, software development agency. Did that for about maybe 12 years and actually ended up getting burnt out. <laughs> and so I uh, took, a, took a role as a CTO and I've kind of been doing that while uh, doing my own thing on the side as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't realize you also had a background in um, being a web developer and, and with an agency. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was fun while it lasted. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I have a similar uh, similar experience, but on the more of the design end. Okay. So yeah, going, going back to the no-code bit, so what prompted you to start using this as a solution inside of your company? That's a good question. Um, so what, uh, what happened was, you know, I'm in a private equity venture and we've kind of got limited resources. And so I hit a point late last year where um, it was kind of out of budget in terms of hiring developers, but also, you know, still had a roadmap a mile long and needed to find ways to be creative to increase productivity. And one of the issues we were running into was this sort of bottleneck where um, our design and product team would design these new features, they would go into development, and then we would kind of have this back and forth like cycle of comes out of development, it's not really what the designer intended and we do this back and forth dance. And so just looking at that as one of the ways that I could, you know, target for some efficiencies, I started looking at, well, what if there was a smoother transition from what the design team had put together to what actually gets delivered to the customer? And I kind of found the no code world at the end of last year and realized that was something I could equip my design and product team with. That's awesome. So you've been doing it roughly for like six months now, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How's it been working so far? Um, it's been good. I So I started kind of just dabbling myself on the side. I wanted to vet these tools and see if there was any legitimacy to them because I had looked at them 
a few years ago. Tools like Bubble, I looked at, I think in 2017 or 2018, maybe somewhere around there. And um, at the time, didn't really see the value in it. But uh, when I came back to this world at the end of last year, it was kind of clear that things had come a long way. And I started finding platforms that actually let you like export code. Um, and I realized that this was this was a, a game changer. Interesting. So what was it about Bubble that changed during the time you initially looked at it versus um, versus later? Yeah, um, you know, I don't know for sure because I don't clearly remember exactly what Bubble had at that time. I remember that it was difficult to kind of um, get started in it. And I know some people today still have a little bit of a, a learning curve with Bubble. Um, but I think it was probably just the use case. I mean, I, I, if I can remember correctly, I might have been trying to build a mobile app at that time. And Bubble, even today, is not the best choice for m- mobile apps. I know they're working to improve that. Um, but it, it was probably just the use case um, combined with them. I know Bubble has definitely improved over the years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, it looks like they've invested a lot more into the infrastructure end, which was pretty encouraging for me because the first time I used it like five years ago, um, yeah, I mean, we ran into some kind of like speed and scalability issues, but it sounds like that's been like the core focus of, uh, yeah, of recently and also like their venture capital money. Yeah, definitely. I, I would like to see them do more. They still have some speed issues, but you can get around it, you know, now kind of building a lot of applications in, in a yeah. single page and bubble and there's some ways around it. So it's good. Yeah. It sounds like there are some ways to hack it that are pretty, um, it worked pretty well, um, or maybe not even hack it, just structure it more intelligently. Like I was talking to um, Vlad at Airdev and he was telling me about how they do it. And I was like, oh, wow, this, it sounds like you could get substantially further from like when I was using it five years ago, just by um, using kind of like the new infrastructure and then like build, building it in a better way. Yeah, um, absolutely. If, if you talk to uh, Joe Brown at New Code or the guys at Huddle, uh, Mark and Nav, they've they've both gone really far with Bubble. Uh, it's really impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to reach out to them. That's that's super. Um, that's awesome. They've they've been able to push it far. Yeah. Um, yeah. So since you've been using it like over over the the last six months, this whole no code approach, like what have you seen with your team? I guess that um, like like how many people are using it? I guess is the first question. So right now, there's a team of five or six that are using it. Um, my team in total is like 35, 36 people. And so it's just a fraction of the team uh, that's actually using no-code tools right now. Mm. Um, but I do see that growing a little bit um, you know, over time. Really? W- which ones are you using again? So the main tool that we're using is Clutch. Um, Clutch is still in beta, but uh, we're one of the early users of it. And it's pretty amazing. I mean, it is like enterprise grade. You can export um, React. It uh, it is the perfect handoff from our design team to our front end developer. Um, so it's it's pretty slick. That's the main one. And then I'm also implementing uh, DraftBit as well for mobile. Oh, very cool. What is DraftBit again? I can't. Um, I don't remember what that one is. So DraftBit is uh, it's a mobile app builder. Similar to, in terms of the layout, it's very familiar to anybody who's used Webflow or anything like that. But uh, it's unique in that it also lets you export React Native code. So that's wow, something okay. that's very appealing to me. Yeah, yeah. the the ones, the tools that export code, I, I, I think I share the same opinion with you that those are the ones that would, would be best to use for, I mean, 
like definitely a company at your size, but I, I mean, I think like even in the prototyping phase, in some cases, like it, it just seems like if you can export to code and write clean code with the tool, then why wouldn't you use that for as like the first, um, first line of defense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If nothing else, it would be a great accelerator for, like you said, the prototyping phase. Yeah. Um, but I think for most people and even for a lot of companies, it's great for a V1. Um, and then if you need to export code down the road, you can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like if, if you need to rebuild something more custom um, afterwards, like you can just kind of pick, pick which pages to do it on, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you can like push up all the code. Um, do you sync the code with, uh, with GitHub? Yeah, so that's the power of a tool like Clutch that we're using. To your point, you can pick and choose your spots where you want to implement it. Um, so we have a, a large, uh, you know, legacy monolithic SaaS application that we are migrating to um, a serverless architecture. And so we're rebuilding a lot of the application, we're rebuilding the front end using React and uh, with Clutch, we have the ability to decide, okay, for this one tab in our application, we're going to use Clutch to rebuild this entire feature of our site. Um, we can import our React components. Um, it's, it's super flexible. And, uh, you know, all of our code, I mean, we, we use Bitbucket um, as our repo. So um, it's easy for us to, to uh, keep everything in sync. Wow, that's that's pretty amazing, yeah. Because uh, when I was using Webflow, um, I did a little bit of like Webflow and React. Uh, sorry, not React. Uh, Webflow and Rails, like merging those mm-hmm. together. So we, we were using Rails as the main app, like under a root domain, and then we we're doing SEO experiments. So we did a uh, a reverse proxy setup with Webflow, so that Webflow could also be under the root domain. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and we created pages with Webflow. Um, the uh, that was how we were able to like build one-off pages. But one of the challenges that is making me um, like, I want to use Webflow for a lot of other things, but if, if I want to do like programmatic SEO and then scale it um, or just pick and choose some pages to be in Webflow and not, it's like, it's, it's tough because you basically have to make the whole site Webflow if it's going to be under the root right. domain. Um, right. So it's really awesome to hear that on clutch you can, just like pick and choose which bits you want to use it for. Um, mm-hmm. So how many how many people do you have using Clutch at the same time right now? So right now, I would say there's you know four or five people that are actively in Clutch. And again, I think you know we may add one or two people, but the, it's one of the nice things about a tool like that. I don't think we'll need a big team. I mean, if I could roll that out across the entire application, like if I could have built the whole application in Clutch. I would have needed a much smaller team than what I have today, for sure. Interesting. That's so. How many? How much efficiency do you think it is in terms of like, like do you do you think it saves you like twice as many uh, hands on deck on like building the app? In, Potentially in like that, that piece, like for for like yeah. the front end, I guess it is. Potentially, I, I definitely think it could. Um, we're still a few months into you know we're only a few months into it, so we're still mm-hmm. getting ramped. In it, but I would say once we get proficient at it, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the great things about Clutch is just as a company, they're super engaged. Um, their CEO is like hands-on uh, with us. It's been it's been awesome, and their team is like, 
I mean, obviously they built clutch, so they, they know it yeah. well, but I mean, they're, they're, they're amazing at it. Like they can swoop in and build out a feature in no time flat. It's pretty amazing. So I can't wait till my team gets to that point. That's super cool. Yeah. I actually have a demo with them set up after this. Cause I know you mentioned clutch before and I was like, Oh, I need to check this out. It looks like my, my dream builder. Like, yeah. Uh, export react code and everything. <laughs> That's cool. So, That's cool. Yeah. I'm yeah let me know what you think. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's, it sounds like you don't have any of the issues of like not having robust version control on a no code tool or like QA process or, um, or just colla- collaboration issues where like people are colliding inside of the app. It sounds like none of that exists in Clutch. Is that right? Because you just you're using GitHub for like version control and QA. And yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, Clutch is one of those tools too where they handle. I mean, they're it's designed for a team to be involved. So you'll see it when you see the demo. But I mean, if you're working inside of Clutch, it's like you're in uh, Google Docs. You see somebody's name pop up on the screen where they're working, so you know at all times like, oh, this person's editing this piece. I'm editing this piece. In real time, really, yeah. you can see your teammates. So, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, the only issues we've run into are like technical debt on our side. You know, our, our I mentioned we have an old monolithic app. Um, there's still a lot of PHP in our application that we're trying to rip out, and it causes some pains for us. But um, we were sort of already started on trying to um, rebuild our application, as I said, as a, a serverless architecture, and we were trying to rebuild the front end. In React, and it you know once we complete that and get PHP out of it, um, it'll be it'll be clear sailing. Interesting. So so you're looking at Clutch now as like <clears throat> as you're you're moving towards that being like the the main process using Clutch to build the front end pages and and that that just being like how your whole team operates. Yes. Yeah. For me, it's a That's game amazing. changer. I mean, right now my designer or, you know, in the, in the past, my designer was using Sketch and then handing that over to the development team. Um, a year from now, everything's going to be designed in Clutch. Not even a year from now, by the end of this year, everything will be designed in Clutch. And it'll be handed over to a front-end developer where all their job is to connect the, the uh, creations that were made in Clutch to our back-end, and that'll be it. It's going to be yeah. super slick. That's amazing. So, like, with your front-end dev... Um how are they actually doing it? Are they like, what was the process of connecting it to the backend actually look like? So um, our backend is all built in AWS. And so um, they're basically just connecting to API gateway. Um, and they're really just making API calls from the front end. So whatever the designer puts in place and says, okay, when you click this drop down, it should load a list of you know this certain type of object. The front end dev is just saying, okay, on click of the dropdown, load this this uh, list of objects from this API call, and that's it. I mean, it's, it's really plug and play. Super interesting. How have how does your front end dev react or front end devs? How did they react when you brought up Clutch originally? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I probably didn't have the best approach at like springing it on them it was um it was kind of on the tail end of me sitting them down and saying like you guys our productivity is not what it should be it's not what i know it could be and there's this thing called no code and they all looked at me like like i said i'm gonna replace you all with robots or something i mean it was it was i got a lot of blank stares they had not heard of no code before um and so i would definitely say they were standoffish but um 
I got like my uh, director of soft dev, my product manager, my designer, um, got them all in a demo of Clutch. And as soon as they saw it, they were sold. Everybody was like, okay, we've seen enough. When can we get the tool? Uh, it, was, it was an easy sell once they saw it. Interesting. So what, what, did, you, what did you do to like uh, control the concerns of the front end devs where they were like, you know, we're, we're automated out. Like, what did you tell them actually? So I just told them, you know, you guys think about how much time you spend going back and forth with the designer. And they, I mean, for most developers, the design piece of it is not the most fun part. And having a designer yeah. tell you like, you know, you didn't get my, my styling right, or you botched my, my design because, you know, I built it this way and you used a, a component that, you know, doesn't look the same or whatever, like that's never fun. Yeah. And so I just, I just packaged it as you guys, this is going to do away with all of the heartache around matching the design. And um, they were really open to it at that point. Interesting. Have, have uh, now, now after you've implemented it, like how do they see it at this stage? They're excited now. So it's really sparked a fire under them to get everything moved over to React, get the whole front end um, mm. rebuilt with React components because they see now how much faster uh, they'll be able to go in a tool like Clutch. That's awesome. Yeah. Every time I talk to, every time I talk to like technical people about no code, especially like really technical people who are accomplished they just roll their eyes at it. They're like, this is, this is a joke. Like you can't yeah. replace coding. And I'm like, I know you, you can't replace coding, but you can speed up a lot of it. And sure. like, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of components that you don't need to write your own code for. Like there are coding libraries for that. Right. And it's like, what if you attach the coding library to a drag and drop tool? And then like, then you have a, like a low code app right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I've said this before, but, you know, we started leveraging AWS, um, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago. And, you know, granted, they just came out with a no-code platform, which I haven't <laughs> had a chance to look at, a no-code yeah, service. Honey code. Honey, yeah, Honeycode. That aside, I mean, you could argue that uh, AWS had already been creeping into a no-code space at least when it comes to infrastructure as a service, right? Um, and yeah. so, you know, I, I told them, hey, this is just the same thing, but for the front end. Like, it's it, a part of it, I think, too, David, is the fact that no code is just not the best moniker for it. It doesn't really yeah. fit. I think yeah. all, most people agree that it's not the best term. So I think that's part of it. Their guard goes up as soon as you say no code. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and other people are like visual web dev, but yeah visual web dev it just isn't as like catchy it's like politically correct but <laughs> <laughs> but like i don't know there's something about the name like no code that just seems like it it has that marketing click to it yeah yeah i think it works great from a marketing standpoint um it's probably not the best when it comes to mm -hmm. like you know accurately describing what it is or yeah. building a bridge to actual developers yeah totally totally and some of the most interesting ones are like, like um, I guess I guess the progression of cert, like certain dev tasks being like uh, I hate 
I don't want to say like no codized, but like I look at the progression of like like a, a product like um, Vercel and like like Next.js. They they substantially uh, remove the amount of code you have to write, and like you're in some cases like not having to write code or or um or anything like that. So it's like there, there's that direction, and there's also like UI Bakery, which sounds like does um, very similar thing to uh, Clutch. And I hear a lot of developers like getting excited about those, um, but it, yeah, I don't even know if like UI Bakery or Clutch do they even market themselves as no code? Yeah, UI Bakery does. Um, I, I see them a lot in no code circles. Um, yeah, but but I mean, you're absolutely right, and it, it's one of the things I say to my developer friends when we have this debate about no code. It's like, you know, I I, I make the point about uh, frameworks, you know you could argue that frameworks take a lot of the coding out of the equation. And yeah. that's kind of the point of them. And most devs don't have any problem with using frameworks. Um, you know, I would say the same thing about, you know, in the agency world, um, a lot of people I know were using WordPress for years <laughs> for yeah. all kinds of things. And if you think about it, WordPress was really kind of the original no code platform in a lot of ways. And so it's just a matter of perspective. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, yeah, I was, I was like looking back at like, what is the history of no code? And it's like, I mean, the graphical user interface, like the people like GUIs that yeah. before then it was like all command line. And then like, was it first spreadsheet software? It was, I think it was called like BizCalc and it was, uh, it was like an Apple product released in like 19, I think like 83 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just like th this progression where, I mean, I, I don't think coding is ever going to be eliminated, but it's like no. a, a, a lot of the routine, like routine things that we do in code, it just seems to make sense to make it, like democratize it, make it available to, to anyone, reduce the learning curve. Yeah, I would say the routine things or the things that are not a differentiator. You know, yeah. that's one of the things I tell my guys. Like we, you know, we, we build a, a SaaS application that is, uh, based on GPS tracking software. And it's like, at the end of the day, my team wants to focus on where we can differentiate our application up against the competitors. Like, <laughs> totally. Building stuff that, you know, loads data into the UI or drop downs or tables or like layout, that's not a differentiator in that sense. And so, as a developer, they want to spend their time on, you know, IoT and AI and making the application more performant and you know handling um, data management between the front end and the back end like that's the stuff they really enjoy not getting data to the ui yeah that makes sense do you think there's a correlation between like the quality of the developer and their concern for like no code and and i guess how much they embrace no code in terms of uh, them not having to do like routine uh, non non competitive uh, development work you know, that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure. I, I'll answer it by saying this. I, I have seen a correlation between not wanting to do no code and the type of developer. And what I mean by that is, you know, the type of developer that doesn't like to document their code because they're afraid they could be replaced. You know what I mean? Like the one mm. who's been there for many years and wrote this seven-year-old code and anytime that code needs to be touched, you go to that developer because you're like, okay, that we know they can figure out this issue. Yeah. 
where they're kind of like wanting to wall things off because they feel like it's job security or whatever. That's the yeah. only time I've really seen, you know, somebody really take a stand. And I think that's just a different kind of developer where you would have an issue anyway, not just with no code tools. Yeah, interesting. So so they take a stand and they're like, we shouldn't use no code. Right, exactly. And it's it's not really an indictment on no code. It's more an indictment on not trusting that there could be another way. It doesn't mean that the other way is better than your way. It just means it's a different way than yeah. what you've always done. Yeah, that's super interesting. So shifting over back into Clutch and what you guys are doing with it, it's really interesting to hear that you just see using it for the foreseeable future to, to do your front-end web dev. When do you anticipate migrating something that was in Clutch to just purely developing it in you know, code for the front-end? Uh, yeah, that, that question first, and then I have another one to follow up to that. I don't think I do, honestly. I think that anything that we build in Clutch, again, it just gets connected to our backend, but at the end of the day, it's all JavaScript. And um, I don't really see a point where I would say there's value in not using Clutch and switching back to some other, you know, strategy for connecting the front end to the back end or designing the front end. Interesting. Yeah, my next question was going to be, do you, do you think there's a point at which like you would never use, use Clutch because you'd scale, but it sounds like that's a no as well. I don't, yeah, I don't see it today. I really don't. And yeah. it, part of the reason is because it's so flexible. Like when we first started with them, um, we showed them uh, one of our, you know, kind of an example, like uh, section from our application. Like, okay, here's our, you know, driver behavior feature. And they recommended a front-end uh, library for us to use that we hadn't worked with before. And so we built it out with that. Then we showed it to our designer and she was like, okay, but I was kind of really married to, I think she was using material design. And they were like, oh, no problem. We can switch to material design. And boom, boom, boom. They switched the whole library to material design. And it was like super easy. And our designer was happy and didn't have to go back to development. So it's so flexible. I don't see any, any need to switch. So interesting. And the code, what's the quality of the code that it exports? It's, uh, you know, just as good, if not better than the quality of the code my team is writing. So <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, it's, it's, they might clean, not want to hear right? that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's clean, right? It's, it's, it's automated, yeah. you know, it's generated code. Mm -hmm. So you know what you're going to get. It follows a certain pattern. There is never any deviation from it where you're like, what were they doing here? You know what I mean? It's, it's, mm. It's, it's predictable, which makes it very easy to work with. Totally. It, does it have any weird nuances with it? Like, I know some, some platforms, they like append uh, like prefixes to the UI, to the uh, CSS classes and stuff like that. Is there anything like that that it, um, I guess, even um, past that, like that's like a kind of a minor thing that people will do with the code, but there's like some more extreme things that make some of the other platforms that can export code challenging. Not really that I've seen. I mean, um, admittedly, I haven't dug too deep into the code that comes out of Clutch, um, but my team does kind of on a regular basis, and I haven't heard any complaints and certainly no red flags from them. That's interesting. So from, from a collaboration perspective, like 
say your company 10 X's, um, mm-hmm. how do you see interfacing with clutch then? Like, do you see any part, any point where like the collaboration features just aren't robust enough or people are like stepping on each other's toes or like they're, system can't handle like 10 people at once editing the site and like, you know, the cursors showing in real time what's going on and all that. Gotcha. Um, I mean, potentially, although you'd have to have a pretty small application for that to be the case. Again, we have a very large application. So, you know, people are working across a very broad set of screens and features and all of that. So I don't foresee us ever having 10 people working on the same thing. Um, but I suppose if you had a smaller application, it's possible. That makes sense. So is it basically isolated by page? So like only a certain number of people can collaborate on a page, but like if you're working on a different page, it's essentially independent. It's really components on a page. And so if you picture like use the, you know, I'll use the example of like a admin dashboard, right? That's pretty standard to SaaS application. You picture an an admin dashboard, any, section on that dashboard that you define as its own section is its own uh you know component Mm. inside of clutch where people are collaborating and so it's really up to you how you break your application up Um, we just happen to do it by tabs because it works well for for our app but um, interesting but yeah it's you have a lot of flexibility there that's interesting it's that's cool it's uh you're collaborating on like the component level um yeah clutch too i mean yeah now that you say it i'm like yeah that is how it'd work i guess i'm i'm so used to like all the no code tools where it's like by page versus like right in in react and web app land it's like by component it's not by page at all exactly (laughs) that's that's really interesting I'm, i'm looking forward to seeing how they do that um yeah just how they built their application around that so what would you tell other uh other ctos like how would you advise them about how to look at no code as a concept and just how to potentially integrate it into their company? Yeah, so the first thing I tell other CTOs is keep an open mind, number one, because it doesn't matter what it is, you know, forget the no-code name, it doesn't matter what it is. If I told you there was a way for your team to be more productive, would you be open to, to hearing about it? The answers can be yes. So just keep an open mind and take a look at it is probably the first thing. That's because that's the first barrier I see to CTOs really taking no-code seriously. Um, the second thing I would say is understand that there is a lot of flexibility. Again, we could stop at just having one tab in our app be built with Clutch if we wanted to. And that's really powerful. Um, again, if you've got you know, a deadline you've got to meet and you don't have the resources or whatever, and you just want to use a tool like Clutch for this one feature, you could absolutely do that. It's not a all or nothing. You don't have to say... We're going to bet the farm on no code and have your whole app built in that. You could say, you know, just for this one piece, we're going to implement it. So that's probably the the second thing is understand that it's it's not all or nothing. Yeah, that's a really good pitch to him. Final question. If you could ask for one feature request from any no code platform, what would that feature be and what would the platform be? <laughs> oh, man. Um, so as far as what the feature would be, you know, I, I would love to see more product-centric features in these no-code tools. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, you see a lot of them that are built by uh, designers or developers, primarily developers, who it seems like is building a lot of these no-code tools, which is awesome. I'm a developer myself, so there's no knock there. 
but I do kind of have a product leaning um, as a CTO. And so allowing the no-code maker to get a little bit of insight into what makes a great product and how to think about their end user when they're building with your tool, I think is going to make a huge difference because you know, giving them the tools and saying, here's how you build an app, you know, here you can put a feed together and then you click on the feed and you get to a detail view. And then on the detail view, you have a share button, like that's all well and good. But somebody's got to train a lot of these no-code makers on how to think about the end user, like what's best for them. I'm giving you 50 different tools to build your app, but how do you decide which of those tools to use and which one's going to be create the best experience for your end user? So if there could be a little bit more education about user experience and um, you know how to think about the end user, I think that's going to really help uh, the no-code space. That's a really, really great point because, um, yeah, I mean, I think about a tool like like Bubble where you can do anything. It's so powerful from that perspective, but it also means that as the end user who oftentimes is not coming from a product or a development background, they're like a business mm-hmm. person who has a really good idea and they want to implement it. Just understanding product flows is another barrier that, yeah, is not even talked about that like, yeah, they'll, they'll get in the app and just not know what's going on and then... If they can't make money with the app, they can't continue on their like bubble subscription or or upgrade it because you know people aren't using it. It's a really great point. It yeah, and unfortunately, one. if they're building their first app, they may not know where to use a list versus where to use a table versus where to use a slider because yeah. they're building their first app. And um, like you said, you can give them a bunch of different ways to do it, but how should they do it? Somebody's got to help them with that. It's a great point. That's a great point. Hopefully a lot of platforms uh, listen to this and hear that <laughs> can yeah. relay this to their, uh, their product teams. Cool. Well, this has been great. I'm super glad that uh, that you came on today and, and talked about how you're using uh, no-code at your company. Um, how can people keep up with you and uh, connect with you outside of this? Sure. Um, so Twitter is pretty much the only platform that I use regularly. So I'm on Twitter at gil underscore works. That's G-I-L-L underscore works. And I talk about no code. I talk about kind of the creative process um, quite a bit and uh, how I'm using these tools in, in my business as a CTO as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for coming on here. This has been great. Yeah. And thanks everyone for listening. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll include links to any of the tools that we spoke about here in the show notes. To keep up with the no code and code conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at at underscore David Head. That's at underscore D-A-V-I-D-H-E-A-D. This podcast was created by my company Bridge and Content Allies. I want to tell you a little bit about Bridge for a moment. I created Bridge because I don't want to see any more companies stop growing because their no-code tools stop scaling. I personally scaled a lot of these tools to the limit and migrated to code many times over. At the Y Combinator-backed startup that I founded and other teams that I've been a part of, advised, and interviewed. I want to help share the insights that I've learned over the last few years with you now. To do this, my team and I at Bridge have created a free assessment for you to get personalized insights on when your stack will stop scaling and an action plan on what to do to migrate, including strategies for success, pitfalls to avoid, and new tools to use. To be clear, we're not sending you a blog post or anything. This is specific insights tailored to your exact stack, your company details, and how much traction you have. So if you're growing on no-code, I highly recommend taking this to get ahead of the curve. 
You can take the free assessment at www.bridge.so/scale. That's www.bridge.so/scale. So why is the assessment free? It's free because it helps us give back to the community, but it also helps us know which other pieces of content that we need to create. In addition to which other products, services, and features need to exist to make this no-code movement more successful. So I'll also be selecting 10 out of the first 100 submissions to set up one-on-one calls with, where you can ask me any questions that you want about how to be more successful with no-code tools. Again, the URL for the assessment is www.bridge.so/scale. That's www.bridge.so/scale. And before we head out, I want to give another shout out to Content Allies for helping us launch this podcast. Content Allies turn CEOs into thought leaders through content marketing. They interview you via video and then turn that interview into video clips, articles, podcasts, and social posts. They're the team that powers all the content that we do here at Bridge and this podcast that you're listening to. You can learn more and reach out to them at contentallies.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-T-A-L-L-I-E-S dot com.